say it's time to negotiate. This is the moment when all our conflict resolution skills need to come together and our win-win approach is sure to be challenged. We might fall off this fine principled horse in the heat of the moment. Many do. And they grab a war horse and possibly ride over the finishing line triumphant. But they've used their power to attack, they've indulged in tricks and ploys and barged their way through. And they leave their opponents as unconsidered casualties on the wayside. They might win today, but now they're the enemy and they can be cut down tomorrow. There's a smarter way to negotiate. But if we really do want better relationships and agreements that stick, we'll need to balance many forces that are acting on these moments of change. We're working with our commitment to our own needs. We've got a commitment to the other person's needs too, a commitment to finding a workable plan, and a commitment to what's fair for all of us. So, this is skill number 10, negotiation. We're constantly negotiating. Did you do any of these recently? Ask your boss for a raise or some time off? Deal with people who are asking you to do too many things at once? Perhaps buy some new equipment for the company? Or work out who will do the household chores? Plan your living arrangements with someone else? Or organise some renovations? Or perhaps it's divorce? We are constantly exchanging commitments, promises and arrangements. If the terms are not yet clear, we have to negotiate. Negotiation is what business is all about, and it's what relationships are about too. Working or living in the same space, planning who does what, and who decides what, and it goes on between countries. Just imagine how many negotiations have taken place during this coronavirus. Where do you negotiate? What aspect of negotiating is hardest for you? We never seem to get taught how to negotiate. We either seem to be good at it or we're not. But it is a skill with many twists and turns and it can be developed. We can too easily drop into fight or flight mode or a win-lose competition where one person gets a bit aggressive, the other one digs in and the negotiation breaks down. In fight mode, the hardest thing might be controlling your temper and not pushing for what you want at the expense of the other person. And if flight mode kicks in, it's going to be very hard for you to stand your ground and not give in too easily. The objective of negotiation win-win style is not to come out on top, but to reach a balanced agreement that seems fair to both parties. Why do it that way? because that's the agreement that most parties will stick to. When you know you need to negotiate, try to give yourself some time first to prepare. It will pay off. What will help you to flow? Remember, conflict is opportunity for some creative problem solving, for bringing into the new something that is not in the old. We need to move into discovery mode and let go of any demand for perfection because we're probably not going to get it. Make a needs and fears map for everyone involved, not just yourself. It's best written down, 
but you can do a reasonable job in your head. You might need another listen to skill number eight, mapping the conflict in this series. But quick reminders. Fears can include anxieties and concerns, those I wouldn't like it if, or I'm worried about. As well, in your preparation, look for ways to improve both parties' situation. But don't go into the negotiation with any fixed idea about the solution. Just ask yourself, what kind of outcome do I want? And make it broad. Perhaps there's a range within which the tangible results all might work for you. Can you set yourself upper and lower limits? And if the answer is no, you want something very specific, then still ask yourself what needs, values and long-term issues are you taking into consideration? You'll want to be clear what these are if you find yourself having to change course midstream. Don't forget those important intangibles, such as recognition or security or an improved relationship. Next in your preparation, make sure you have your facts ready. Do your homework. Like for an exam, you don't know what area you'll be tested on until you're faced with it. So prepare your answers to these questions. What do I want? What's at the heart of what I need to say? What's the best way of connecting with this particular person? Consider how you can adapt your personal style for this negotiation so that it fits better with theirs. Would they prefer to have all the alternatives laid out? Or would they prefer to have just your final conclusions? How could you acknowledge their core needs, such as being appreciated, having their status or important role respected, or their desire to feel part of the team supported? Also, who am I asking? Am I actually approaching the right person for this decision? Is there someone pulling the strings in the background whose needs and interests also have to be considered? How will I address and move them? And don't forget to develop your currencies and theirs, as we discussed in the last episode on designing options. What can you do to meet the other person's needs and what can they do to meet yours? What's cheap for me to offer and valuable for them to receive? And what's cheap for them to offer and valuable for me to receive? Good negotiating sets up reciprocal arrangements. A successful negotiation is about give and take. If you want to become a better negotiator, consider a wider range of options. Our family friend Lucas has a story and it demonstrates many of the principles that we're talking about here. Lucas outlined for us a recent negotiation he undertook. He runs a small wholesale company, and he'd just imported a delivery of a well-known brand of sunglasses. He emailed his usual customers, and one replied saying, He'd take 100 pairs at $15 a pair. But Lucas was asking $25. Lucas knew he'd done his costings carefully, and if conflict is opportunity, his challenge was how to do something very creative now. Lucas phoned his customer. Phil, he said, I really need $25 a pair for these to make it work for me. What could we do about that? 
Phil said he didn't believe that his small boutique could really afford to pay more than $15. Lucas remained silent. It could have been an impasse, but Phil was still staying quite friendly but firm. And in the end he said, oh well, let's leave it. Next time you're over, come and show me your range. Maybe there's something else I'd be interested in. Lucas wanted to take him up on that and started assembling what he would show Phil at that meeting. Going through his stocks, Lucas found some sunglass cases that hadn't moved last year and he'd just written them off. He'd be happy to move them along at almost any price. He threw a couple in his sample bag. He had a few more written-off items like this, with only small numbers left. Freeing himself from any fixed outcome, he thought, here's the germ of an idea. Lucas met Phil that Thursday and took him to the little cafe nearby. Putting his sample bag between them, Lucas was mentally mapping while he chatted. He asked Phil, when you buy from me, Phil, what is it you need? And Phil answered, well, I need to like the product. It has to be a fair price so that I can get a reasonable markup. Sometimes I can use a really cheap item in an advertising campaign to draw people into the shop. I like having an account with you, and I don't have to pay up front as I do with some of the fly-by-nighters who come in flogging their wares. Lucas offered Phil some of his own needs. Phil, it's great that at the end of 30 days you really do pay your bill. And I can rely on you for that because I've seen you trade here very successfully for what is it now, 10 years? I value that we've done successful business together for so long. You're always interested in the latest stuff, so I can test my market on you. Lucas's major concern was losing Phil as a client and he hated being seen as too expensive to deal with, but he didn't say that. Lucas sensed that as Phil had twice stuck to his $15 offer, he probably wouldn't budge now. Lucas suspected that Phil's wife, in the background, often set limits on his purchasing budget. If Phil would take these last season items, Lucas could throw in the 100 pairs of sunglasses at $15, because the whole thing would be worthwhile. So he decided that he'd make Phil a conditional offer. Phil, I could give you a really good deal. I could let you have 200 of these, waving at the sale items, at $6 each. And if you do take the 200, I'll give you 100 pairs of sunnies at your $15 each. How's that? Phil was interested, but he was still hesitant. And Lucas sensed that he needed to sweeten this deal a little bit more. Phil, would it help you if this time I gave you two months to pay for the extra items? And a glint came into Phil's eyes. Had Lucas found a way around the wife's budget? Now they had a deal that suited Phil as well as Lucas. They shook hands and finished their coffees, chatting about the weekend's big soccer match. Lucas knew that it was also important to take the time to build the friendship as well as the deal. Lots of things can sweeten the deal. Choose which offers you might put into the negotiation arena if required and be flexible and add more currencies as needed. 
What you can offer is your bargaining power, and their power comes from what you need from them. Think about that and tell them. Just as Lucas did when he told Phil that he could have the 100 sunglasses at $15 if he took all of the sale items too. It was a conditional offer. Let's unpack that a bit further. It means if you give me something, then I'll give you something. You might plan to use this if-then format. If you give a benefit, you may need a benefit in exchange. Investigate and prepare to swap currencies. And you can be very creative. I need my plants watered while I'm away. Could I offer you my car space for two months in exchange for you watering the plants? If then can be a very useful format to discuss terms that you might be willing to give in appropriate circumstances. You don't want to commit yourself to them immediately, and you might need to make that clear. You might signal that such a deal is possible. Perhaps you'll say, under the right circumstances, I would be willing to. What would you be willing to offer in exchange? While it's helpful to know in advance what you might have up your sleeve to sweeten a deal, introduce these trading elements slowly rather than all at once. Work up how you'll conduct the negotiation so that you're building a fair and balanced deal for everyone, including yourself. And remember, fair deals are the ones that stick. Here's another helpful tip when preparing for a negotiation. Work on the other person's case before you engage. Put yourself in their shoes. Think as they think. How would they see their case? What are their options? What are their immediate difficulties? If they say yes, what are the implications for them and are they acceptable? Prepare to spell out the positive implications. And also adapt your plan to minimise their negative repercussions if they do say yes. It can certainly help if you're seen to be considering their cost or their inconvenience. What steps will you both have to take if the other person agrees? If you can, lighten up their follow-up tasks. Perhaps you can prepare a list of names and contact details of anyone that they'll have to get in touch with or you could perhaps offer to draft an email that they'd need to write. Have ready any information that they would need in order to make a decision, such as a tentative itinerary for a holiday, or the costing on some new equipment, or a list of people available for the job. In other words, make it easy for them to say yes. It's often a very good idea to work out your opening statement. It should be to the point and not too long, As you compose it, think clear and concise. It should engage their interest, state your objective and invite their response. After this preparation phase, you'll be moving into interaction with the other party. And all of the conflict resolution skills we've discussed in previous episodes will be very relevant. Let's revisit some of them. You're about to start, so slow down for a moment, centre, flow, and make contact. Centering is a great way to calm your anxiety, and I know how anxious negotiations can make me. So breathe deeply into your belly. You may want to deliberately calm and deepen your breathing pattern. 
Use your favourite images of flow, swaying branches, river currents. Remind yourself how you want your energy to move through this negotiation, focused on your direction and flexible as you navigate the obstacles on the way. Don't contract away from the other person. Consciously make a connection. Respond rather than react. Set up a climate of agreement. You might start with some simple agreements about where and when you'd both be free to meet and how much time is available or needed. Paint a picture of collaboration. So you might say, let's work out something that will suit both of us. Remember, in a truly successful negotiation, everyone wins. Start to build trust. How does friendly connection with this person work best? Should you be getting right to the point with them? Or take a bit of time to reconnect first? Do you think they're more task-focused or more people-focused? How would they like me to approach them? Are they more outgoing or more reserved? Check also that you're being culturally appropriate in the negotiation. Does the other person have a different cultural background to yours? You don't need to jar with that. Be willing to adapt your negotiation style to suit theirs. In some cultures, the parties leave a lot of margin to bargain, and in others, there's little or no room for movement. There are customs about the appropriate level of familiarity. Some cultures require far more formality than others. Recognise if you'd better spend time in social ceremony before you begin. Even body language is interpreted differently in different cultures, touching or not touching, standing close or more distant, looking directly at the person or looking down, using a third person to speak on your behalf about a problem rather than confronting that person directly. Respect the other person's customs and try to adapt as well as you can. You don't need to let a cultural mistake get in the way. Stay in discovery mode. Be open to learning something new or seeing a different approach or angle. And be patient. Use active listening. Listen for what's missing, not only what's said or implied. Look out for what makes you or them uncomfortable. And listen for the feelings behind the words and the tone of voice. And pay attention to your own too. What might it be implying to the other person? Use appropriate assertiveness. Talk about your needs and the outcomes you hope for without arousing their defences. So no blaming, no coercing. Use I statements. And avoid win-lose outcomes. For sport, that's fine. Competition is the challenge to accomplish something. But for personal and business relations, win-lose is a very poor tactic. If one party remains unsatisfied, you're inviting ongoing hostility and undermined agreements. And if you need to disagree, use phrases like, I'm seeing it a bit differently. Your aim is to broaden the possibilities or the perspectives. Things often look like a win-lose, this or that, your way or my way, or there's only so much available. Your previous preparation of possible currencies might help you sidestep that particular predicament. What's low cost for you and high value for them, and vice versa? 
draw in extra factors to build in more wins all round. For example, remember the story about Lucas and his sunglasses negotiation. He added other products that he was happy to include so that he could broaden the base of discussions. If only one person can win, for example, only one person can be promoted, broaden the other person's view. Are there alternative wins, other opportunities for them that could be built in? Ready for another negotiation tip? Be brief and to the point. Many a good case has been spoiled by someone being long-winded and unclear. That's why you carefully consider your opening statement before you go into the negotiation. It'll come into its own here because it helps you be clear and concise. Don't be afraid to sell yourself. Have the courage of your convictions. Good plans will work for both parties. People are often afraid to ask for what they really want. And in truth, if other people knew what we wanted, they might at least meet us part of the way. So ask for 100% of what you want, be willing to hear a no, and work towards a compromise. Like Lucas. Next negotiation tip, ask lots of questions. Questions can steer a negotiation in the right direction. It's an art form. The right question can really open up and redirect where you're both going. For example, there's great power in the question, is this plan going to get us where we want to go? If you're unsure what you want to do or say next, you could use a question to buy some time. Ask, hmm, what else is important for us to consider? Getting some more information would move you forward. Specific how or what questions might uncover the information that you need. When the other person is being too general, such as, I want the best, ask, well, what would be best for you? Or, can you tell me how that will happen? And don't assume they mean what you think they mean. You'll often want to question blanket statements from the other person that might include an always or a never or an everyone. Perhaps, has there been a time when that was not so? In the face of too expensive or too much or too many, try a question that raises a comparison. For example, if you're told that air conditioning is too expensive for the office, ask expensive in what terms? Are we only talking money? Are there other benefits and costs? You could introduce the cost of sick days or low work output due to air quality. Even when faced with apparently rigid opposition, you might be able to challenge it by asking what might be possible in the right circumstances. So you hear, we couldn't do that, and you might ask, what would it take to make that possible? Or you might hear, we always do it that way, and you might reply with, can we think up a better way? Remember, questions lead the mind. If their statement includes can't, won't, must, must not, should or should not, first accept the difficulty and then ask a leading question. Lead them around the obstacle. Here are some examples of this. You hear the statement, I can't get the report done in time. Ask, what would you need to get it done on time? And you might receive the reply, well, if I had more help, or access to more information. You've opened a new door. How might you respond to the following statement? 
I won't do what you're asking. Your plan is unacceptable. Don't give up too easily. It's a perfect time for a good question, such as, what would we need to include for you to accept it? Find out what might make them more willing or interested or confident about the situation. The right question can lead you out of an impasse and turn their resistance towards new possibilities that hadn't occurred to either of you before. Sometimes, however, you just need to know when to shut up for a while. You'd hope to negotiate, but it's turning into a row, and you're tempted to shout over them to defend yourself or justify your position. Don't. When you feel defensive, don't defend. Take a sidestep. Very consciously become an active listener. Wait until you've calmed down before you respond. And in the meantime, really listen to what the other person is saying. Listen for their needs and their priorities. Find out what's really fueling their heated emotions. Then, once you yourself are a bit calmer, ask a question to redirect the argument towards a constructive outcome. You might ask, What do you really want? How can we put this right? Or, I didn't handle that as well as I might have. Is there anything we could do now to help the situation? During the flare-up, it might be important to state your own case too. First, respectfully acknowledge the unaddressed needs and then deliver your I statement. You don't want your statement about your needs to be misinterpreted as a denial of theirs. For example, I can see that you're upset about me being late. I had problems with a sick child this morning. If you must argue, stick to the subject under discussion and don't drag in other issues. Stay with the problem that you're trying to negotiate and watch out that you don't take a superior stance that puts the other person down. Play it out if you must, but as equals. Problem solving together. Separate the people from the problem. Be hard on the problem and stay kind to the people involved. In other words, be considerate. Keep focused on the issues rather than on personalities. You might begin to use a board or a piece of paper to make notes. It could be a needs and concerns map that you're starting. Offer them a pen to add things or move beside them so that you can both read it together side by side. It's a less confrontational physical position, and people then can point at what has been written down rather than attack each other. Include their point of view. Highly skilled negotiators include rather than oppose the other person's point of view. You needn't agree with it, you simply acknowledge it. For example, I can really see your point of view. From mine, it's like this. Or try. What I like about that idea is this. And my concern is that... Notice you've used the word and. Consider the way doors close when you say but. So try and not but wherever possible. Treat opposing points of view as a contribution towards problem solving rather than rejecting them. They can become the substance of a fuller, more realistic perspective and includes yours and theirs, but dismisses. Yes, we must include your point of view about factory safety. How can we work that into the new plan? There's another strategy that highly skilled negotiators use too. 
They emphasize areas of agreement, and they do it quite often. They pay particular attention to common ground, places where both parties' interests, priorities, and concerns already match each other. So talk about what you do agree on often, and if you get stuck, go back over the common ground. And every time you take a step forward in the agreement, spell that out too. From time to time, you might restate your joint objective to reach agreement. You might say, "Let's see how far we've got with this agreement now," or "What we've achieved so far is," and go over what you have already agreed on. How do you shift unrealistic expectations? Sometimes the other person doesn't know what is reasonable or feasible, and you might need to set them right about dollars or resources or time or conditions. If they think the service they want costs fifty dollars, they're going to be rather shocked if you're asking two hundred. And sometimes it's you who's unrealistic. Ask questions, take time out to collect more facts. And stay flexible. Research objective yardsticks like standard overhead costs or workplace agreements or health and safety requirements. Other parents' ways of handling this issue. Give yourself the opportunity to find out what's fair and adjust your and their expectations. Educate each other early in the piece to save face later. So before your child. Tells you that they want all the kids in their class to come to their birthday party. Tell them that you think that the house can only hold around ten. Be flexible and know your bottom line. Bottom line is a very useful negotiation term to have in your vocabulary. It's the place below which you'll need to say no deal. If you've ever participated in an auction, you'll know how easy it is to get bidding fever and pay far too much. I've done it myself. So set yourself your limit. Know your bottom line before you start. But watch out! Negotiation is a bargaining process, and you're not negotiating if all you can offer is take it or leave it. So consider what flexibility you do have. Your range from what you'd like to what you'd be willing to settle for. Privately, you might have set a bottom line. But generally, you'll aim for something above that while you're negotiating. Make a reasonable offer, or ask for a reasonable offer to be made, and then be prepared to negotiate further. You might signal that there's room for some movement. For example, to a young teenager who's just got Instagram, you might say,、mm, "I think twenty minutes a day for a quick check on social media after school—that's about enough." You're not really expecting your child to agree instantly, especially if they're thinking more along the lines of three hours or completely unlimited. You'll probably end up settling on a time somewhere between half an hour and one hour. Your bottom line secretly might have been one hour, but they need to feel that they're winning something too. Listen for clues that the other person can consider another offer. Your electronic salesman might give you a signal. For instance, he might say something like, "Well, our normal price for this is fifteen hundred and seventy-five dollars." Behind that statement, you can hear there is probably some room to move. There are many times as the meeting progresses that you will be helped by taking notes. 
and you'll get into negotiations that, by their nature, require a number of meetings. Some negotiations may extend over years, and then accurate note-taking becomes critical to reopening negotiations at the point that you've left off the last time. Even if someone is formally taking minutes for the meeting or writing up the proposal, your own notes can help you check the accuracy of what you receive. You don't want any misinterpretations or distortions. Listen for how Irene did it in her story. Irene's a single mum with two boys. She'd recently moved back home to live with her mother. Her mum was a wonderful support while she juggled work and motherhood at the same time. She finally felt like she was getting life back on track. And then the COVID-19 pandemic struck. It was still quite early in that whole dreadful saga, but Irene was already very fearful that she'd bring home the virus to her mum. Being elderly, she was a high-risk person, and Irene had to travel by train to and from work. And she decided that her best answer was to homeschool the boys and to go to her boss and renegotiate her employment situation. So she began to prepare her case. Firstly, what were her needs here? Here's what she told us. My prime one was that I needed to leave and I needed it to be officially sanctioned so that I could return once the crisis was over. I thought about my boss's position too. He needed staff he could call on at short notice. He was bound by workplace agreements and other regulations. So I found the relevant clauses, printed them out, and highlighted them for him. I wanted to make it easy for him to say yes to me. I prepared an opening statement. I need not to come into the office while this crisis is on. I live with my elderly mother and I can't afford to risk taking the virus home to her. I'm not sure how best to do this. I'd like to keep this job. Can we possibly work out something that would work okay for you too? She said her boss reacted surprisingly well, saying that there was the possibility of some compassionate leave and she took this as a signal that she did have some room to move. So she went on to discuss her holiday pay and her long service leave due. It began to look like she might be able to continue to draw pay, at least for a while. However, when she thought about it, the whole plan didn't sit right with her yet. She told us the money that I was due would run out, and like everyone else, I had no idea how long the crisis was going to last and how long we'd have to have social distancing go on for. My savings weren't going to last long without a paycheck, and I told him all this. And that's when negotiations got rather sticky. My boss started on about his greatly reduced sales while the crisis continued. It looked like Irene's negotiations were floundering, so she laid her last card on the table. She didn't know how he'd take it or how well she could manage it, but she suggested that there was a considerable amount of her usual work that she could do from home. He was more open to the idea than she expected, and they brainstormed some ways and means, and they began to see that she could do pretty well everything that she'd always done. She took notes as they progressed, 
privately wondering how that would go with the boys at home. I could only hope that my mum would help there too, she told us. And she went on to tell us how it all ended up. We agreed on a plan and I wrote it all into an email for him and I sent it to him. I had to pester him a bit for a reply, but I needed an acknowledgement of what we'd agreed to. And she managed to get it out of him by the end of the day. She wrote him a thank you note and left it on his desk with a bottle of good quality brandy that she ducked out and bought. She thought he was going to need it. People don't always negotiate as fairly as Irene's boss did. At times, you'll need some skillful counter-tactics. For example, they might talk for all the available time, or be rude, or ignore you, or throw in red herrings, or come up with some unreasonable demands. Your position of long-term strength needs to remain partners, not opponents. When it looks like your negotiation is heading towards win-lose, you might want to steer it back to a win-win approach. And you could use one of these counter-tactics that are conflict-resolving. You could ask a question or positively reframe their negative comment. You can let some hostile remarks pass you by. And sometimes a little humour will help in this. If it seems they're misinterpreting you, you might ask them to repeat back to you what they think you just said and then clarify any errors of communication. Sometimes you'll spot a ploy, a bit of a trick to throw you off scent. Name it. You might call it out with something like, we seem to have taken a bit of a diversion here. Can we get back to the question I was asking? A recognised ploy is no longer a ploy. If their position seems biased, you could ask, show me how that's fair. Perhaps they'll agree to discuss a side issue later, particularly if there are other people in the room. You might need to breathe deeply, speak calmly and change tack. Give yourself permission to call for some time out if necessary. Know when to stop. If the emotions are too high, call a break. If the situation reaches an impasse, leave it alone for a day or so. If someone uses an unfair tactic that throws you off balance, give yourself a breather. Go to the bathroom, make a cup of tea. Centre yourself before responding. You might choose to deflect the conversation to a less controversial topic if a particular issue becomes too hot. And if you think information's being withheld, you can take a break and use it to gather the information that you need. Sometimes a negotiation just stays stuck, even though you've tried all your best conflict-resolving counter-tactics. It might be best to shut it down for the time being. Can you break it off in a way that makes it possible to return at some other time? Perhaps you might say, I think we've gone as far as we can for now. At least we've looked at what's involved. Let's give ourselves some time to think about all of this. But if you've already really tried everything you know how to do and your best attempts at negotiating have failed, it might be the smartest thing to walk away. Some negotiations just do fall through. Decide what's worth fighting for and weigh up the physical, emotional and relationship costs very carefully. You may be better diverting that frustrated energy for change towards other things 
where it's going to be easier for you to make a positive difference in your life. Perhaps you can maintain your goal, just not necessarily your route. Keep your long-term purpose in sight and be flexible about how you're going to get there. Here's an example. Bill was an advertising account executive and he devised an excellent advertising campaign and outlined it to his client. However, the client wasn't convinced. So Bill tried even harder to sell his plan, but that was getting him nowhere. In fact, pushing his point was causing the relationship with his client to become very tense. While you're negotiating, feed off the feedback. And Bill did that. He had a quick backpedal and he asked himself, what's my long-term purpose here really? It was a satisfied client who'd keep working with his agency. And Bill decided if one good campaign had to be sacrificed for that long-term goal, then so be it. He backed off, stopped pushing for the campaign as it stood, and quickly switched his focus onto the client's needs. And the relationship warmed up again, and the client became less tense and a bit more trusting. In fact, within a few weeks, the client quite enthusiastically accepted the original plan, with a few alterations to save face. Be willing to change tack if a particular approach doesn't appear to be working. There's more than one way to the mountaintop. You seem to have reached an agreement and you're heading into the last stages of negotiation, the close. You'll want to seal the deal. You believe your agreement can actually work and work well. So as you start the close, tune in for a moment to your emotions. Perhaps it's a moment for a pause and a deep breath. Do you have any remaining disquiet? Is there something that you still need to cover? Have both parties really chosen this contract? Will the agreement fix or at least manage the problem? Can the people actually fulfil their promises? You might want to discuss if the agreement that you have is specific enough. Consider how, when, where, who and how much. And the last thing to consider on this moment of pause is, is it balanced? Do both sides share some responsibility for making this work? And if the answer is no to any of these, you're not quite at the finishing line yet. Keep going until you get these matters tidied up. If you possibly can, build a follow-up session into the plan to review your progress together and make any adjustments that are needed a bit down the track. And then confirm your agreement. Even in very informal negotiations, it's worth summarising what's been agreed to in case the other person's actually understood it differently. You might jot down the terms. It's amazing how bad memories can be down the track. In business, it pays to create some sort of document of the agreement where both parties have a copy. It could be a memo, an invoice, an exchange of emails such as Irene did in our story. Sometimes it will be a formal contract. At home, for significant agreements, you might stick a note on the fridge or the family notice board. It's great for the division of household chores. The purpose of a clear contract is to prevent misunderstandings, reinterpretations and 
bad memories, because all of these could lead to future conflict. When you've really nailed it down, seal the deal. Stop, acknowledge, and find a way to celebrate. Here's a quick summary of this episode. First, do your preparation. What are the needs and the concerns? And what outcome do you want? Collect the facts. Work on the other person's case as well as your own. Consider what currencies, what could be useful to trade in during the give and take of the negotiation. And make it easy for them to say yes. Prepare a clear and concise opener which states your objective and invites a response. Then, during the interaction, set up a climate of agreement. Listen to how it is for the other side. Tell them how it is for you. And the elements of an I statement might be useful as you're doing this. Build in wins for everyone. Avoid those win-lose outcomes. Ask questions to steer the negotiation in a positive and a collaborative direction. And be hard on the problem and considerate of the person. Include opposing points of view rather than rejecting them. Use and, not but, to incorporate them into moving forward. Be flexible. Know your bottom line. Maintain your goal, but not necessarily your route. And if something's not working, try a different approach. And when you're ready to close, make clear contracts so nothing's ambiguous. Summarise the agreement. Write it down. Take these suggestions on board and you'll be a skillful negotiator. If you'd like more details on all of this, have a look at our website at Conflict Resolution Network. Our headquarters are at crnhq.org. You can download a transcript and explore our extra study notes on negotiation. There's a free manual for trainers there too. And for ongoing reference, you might want to purchase the book Everyone Can Win. It's the inspiration for this series. In this episode, we've discussed negotiation skills and strategies that produce positive results for everyone. Negotiation is the heart of conflict resolution, the place where you bring it all together. But what if the tension is too high for face-to-face negotiation? What if you're seeing others stuck in such a bad place that attempts at negotiation would only make it all worse? That's when mediation comes into its own. A mediator is an impartial party who helps people in conflict situations negotiate. It's the fine art of steering the process of conflict resolution when the going is very tough. It's a whole additional skill set, so we've given it two episodes. We can't make you a professional mediator. That's a specialist qualification. But we can ensure that if you ever need the skills, you'll know what it takes. And that can make you a very helpful person to have around. So do press your play button for that one sometime soon. Why not subscribe to the series wherever you listen to podcasts? And if you like what you're listening to, it could really help us spread the word if you leave us a review there. And let your friends know about it too. Some better conflict resolution skills might be just what they need right now.